You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Eric Kane. That's Brent Hubbs, Tennessee. For the first time this year, Brent falls on the gridiron, eight and one now for one in SEC play. It was twenty-seven to thirteen between the hedges. Yeah, you know, obviously Tennessee didn't play well, uh, and you knew going into that game, Eric, that Tennessee would have to play well. They would, they could not afford self-inflicted wounds and errors and and, and make mistakes if they were going to win. They had to win in the red zone. Um, they had to limit some Georgia explosives, and and they didn't do those three things in in the first quarter of the football game. Um, you know, we, you and I both rewatched the game every Sunday and, and do a review piece. I, I thought this was one of the more intriguing rewatches because th- that game felt chaotic to me for the first quarter, maybe quarter and a half of that football game. It was loud. It, it just felt really kind of helter skelter, you know, and, and you felt like, man, Tennessee's just Tennessee's hanging by a thread. This thing's about to get really, really bad and, and all of that. And then you'd rewatch it, and Tennessee was a lot closer to having that as a as a one-score game at the half. I mean, it could have very easily been there if Tennessee had just done a couple of things. And I don't, I'm not taking anything away from Georgia, okay? I, Georgia's the number one team in the country. My, yeah. my point is with it is I, I think Tennessee was maybe in, in rewatching it felt like Tennessee was more competitive in that game you know, that maybe I thought they were alive. That, that, I don't know if you felt that way, but that's kind of the way I came across with the with the rewatch. To me, it felt a little different rewatching it than it, than it did live, just in terms of where Tennessee was and how many critical mistakes they made early to put them in a, in a bad situation. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, Tennessee, obviously, you're coming to the game averaging over 500 yards of offense and 49 points per game. Didn't come anywhere close to that, don't get me wrong, but – when you look at the stat sheet later on the football game and in the post game, you know, the final book and Tennessee almost has 300 yards total offense. Tennessee, you know, did a couple of things. Hinden Hooker had a hundred and what was it? 95 yards through the air. All these are nowhere close to what they normally are, but it was still a little bit more than what I anticipated in seeing at the end of the game. But more so than anything, you wrote about this in your 10 things. I wrote about this in my review piece and you kind of just mentioned it there. Georgia is good, and Georgia made football plays. That Stetson Bennett touchdown throw in the back of the end zone, that was a football play. That 75-yard punt, I mean, so, you know, sometimes that's football. But Tennessee had nine penalties in this game. Eight were pre-snap. Seven Brent Hubs were false starts. And, and the most impromptu times, that that drive right before uh, the halftime that you said potentially if you found the, a way to get in the end zone, that had been a one-score game. Tennessee had back-to-back false starts that made it third and two from the nine, third and 12 from the 19, had to settle for a field goal. Just stuff like that that you can't have add up against good football teams. Georgia's good. Georgia made plays. Tennessee helped Georgia out a lot, especially in that first half. And uh, that, that's those are the teaching moments when you go back and watch the tape, obviously, for this team, who's very much, and we'll get more on this with uh, Matt Zenitz later in the show at 820, uh, Tennessee's very much in play for postseason aspirations, but those are some teachable moments from this football game that you're going to go back and learn from. Yeah, and, and I'm not making an excuse. I'm not I'm not one of these that's sitting here saying Tennessee should have won the game because I don't no. want to take anything away from what Georgia did. Georgia's secondary was terrific. I, I thought they played outstanding. They tackled well. I thought Georgia had, had a good plan. It's just there were more opportunities for Tennessee than maybe it felt like live. You know, the – the, the, the missed deep ball to, to Jalen Hyatt was a huge play. Um, not fielding that punt was obviously a huge play. You, you mentioned the two false start penalties. 
uh, on that drive. They had two false start penalties on the first drive after the fumble when they made a first mm-hmm. down and had a little rhythm right out of the gate. He's like, okay, here's here's Tennessee going with some patience and, and taking what was given to them, and, and then that goes backwards. Uh, the, the other thing, too, and, and I had this in my 10 things. I thought it was really interesting. It was hard for Tennessee to get in a tempo and a rhythm because every time they had the ball, there were major stoppages in play. And part of that was Tennessee, you know, with penalties, obviously. But they had the one penalty flag they picked up. You know, that was a stop in play where Tennessee gets a positive yard, positive yardage. They're ready to go fast. And, oh, it's going to be interference. It's not going to be interference. There was one drive. There were four injuries on the drive. I think two by Tennessee, two by Georgia. It it just kind of knocked it a little bit out of rhythm that way. Uh, and then, obviously, defensively, Tennessee gave up three three big plays and then the critical scramble to, to Stetson Bennett. So, um, again, I, I I think Georgia, you know, showed the country they're the best team, the most, com- you know, the most complete team right now. I, I think Tennessee was a little more – at times, that game was closer to being competitive than what it felt like uh, is my takeaway. Now, the question is, what is Tennessee going to learn from this area, right? What, what are they mm-hmm. – what's their growth? What do they take from this? I don't know that a lot of teams defensively can do what Georgia did to Tennessee's offense. I don't know that many teams can play defense like that against Tennessee. But but what's Tennessee's counter to some of the things that they saw? Because you know Missouri's going to try to copycat it. South Carolina's going to try to copycat. So what's Tennessee's counter to some of the blitz stuff that they saw um, and, and some of the things that they had a, a bit of a hard time with? Because it it felt like to me, too, that Hendon Hooker and the receivers weren't always on the same route route page which is why Hendon Hooker was slower releasing the football and receivers were having a harder time getting open. They just that they, they never could kind of get the sync going, it felt like, in the rhythm. And again, give Georgia secondary credit for that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't pretend to know everything about football, and I know you don't either, but that, I mean, that's something in, in, in real time. That's something going back and watching it. I'm just, I'm sitting here like, throw it. Throw it, throw it. Like, what are, what are you doing? I understand it's probably not, you know, wide open guys running down the field there, but you know that clock's ticking. I mean, Jalen, uh, Jalen uh, uh, Carter, or uh, uh, what, what's his name, Jalen, the, the the big defensive tackle, eighty-eight. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, he's a player. He caused two fumbles. He came back. He was healthy, yeah. and, and he was coming all night. And so, you know, Hendon holding onto the football a lot. You know, he he contributed to a couple of those sacks. That, all those sacks were not. There were six of them. All those were not on the offensive line. Who I'm not saying played well, but. Uh, it just kind of is what it is. A lot of love uh, in the comment section, or a lot of respect, maybe for you know what Tennessee's defense did. Now, let, let's be real here. Um, you know, Tennessee was playing from behind, twenty-four to uh, six in the second half, and it was raining. And, and Kirby tried to milk that clock. He did a good job with that one drive. But you know, Tennessee, I thought, did buckle up and control the run game pretty well in the second half. Uh, three big plays um, defensively, and they count. They all count. But three big chunk plays led to those scoring drives. 52 yards from Smith, uh, from Bennett on that first drive. 37 yards to McConkey. That actually was a touchdown. And then uh, you had 49 yards and McIntosh out of the backfield where he ran right by Jalen McCullough. You know, outside of those three big time chunk plays, I thought Tennessee kind of settled in and and showed me some things. And and that one, Brent, I don't know what your thoughts were on the rewatch. That one pass to Smith there with Brandon Turnage and coverage. I thought that was good coverage. In fact, he might have been flagged for a little defensive holding there, but they didn't throw it. I mean, he was all over the guy. He just made a play. What did you think about Tennessee's defense overall, minus some of those chunk plays who, again, they still count? Well, you know, that play, that play you just got beat on. Yeah. Smith play you got beat on. That was a really good throw. Um, you, you, The McIntosh play, McCullough played that poorly. He was flat-footed and got run by. Um, and somebody pointed this out on the GQ, and, and I don't know enough about the schematics to know exactly what Roman Harrison was supposed to do on the out and up in, in terms of if he was supposed to attack the half roll there that Stetson, Stetson Bennett went on uh, to, to really try to put some pressure on him and not allow that play to develop. But but obviously, Danico Slaughter bit, bit on the out and up. The, yeah. what, what surprised me when, when going back and look at it, and again, I think sometimes you can take stats and manipulate that into a lot of whatever you want to manipulate it into. But, but you take the first two possessions, Georgia had the football. They carried it five times. They had 42 yards rushing on those five five carries. That included the seven-yard loss on the fumble. So they hit and gashed Tennessee early in the run game. After that, they had 88 yards rushing on 32 carries. Um, so And again, part of that was set, set on the ball in the second half. But but really, after those first two possessions, Tennessee was pretty good against the run. And Georgia hit the hit the deep ball, you know, hit the big plays, and and did to Tennessee what Tennessee tries to do to everybody. Um, so it was, 
again, I, I think you got to keep it all in perspective. I mean, that's a Georgia team that averages 200 yards rushing a game. Um, you know, a, a year ago, um, when you look at the common opponents, I had this in 10 things. Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama a year ago combined for 985 yards rushing on Tim Banks' defense. This year, those same four teams have 492 yards rushing. So Tennessee's clearly better defending the run. They're a better defense than they were a year ago. Um, they just didn't get enough offensive help yesterday to get them going. I mean, they got three stops, what, the first half uh, Tennessee did and, and Tennessee's defense did, and they just they couldn't get anything going with, with the offensive side of the ball. I don't think the defense was great uh, no. by any means, but but I, I, I don't think they were – I don't think they were terrible. Um, they just offensively – had a really hard time because Georgia's defense was really good yesterday. I was those young secondary players for Georgia. I thought could could get, Tennessee could attack them mm -hmm. and, and confuse them and win some things, and, and they didn't. They they had a great plan on the back end, and and it certainly gave Tennessee fits. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my notes uh, in the two minute drill and uh, on, on the game day thread, kind of in my opening paragraph. Uh, you know, I thought, I mean, Georgia again won a national championship a season ago, and a lot of these guys played. But Georgia's secondary is pretty youthful. I mean, they were starting a, a freshman there at free safety. Uh, they had sophomores all, all across the lands at cornerbacks. And then, of course, you had Christopher Smith, who's a who's a veteran in there. And I thought the way Tennessee's offense, of course, have been playing with the vertical threats, saying I'm intrigued to see that matchup. Now, Kirby came in with the game plan. You're not a coach. I'm not a coach. But Kirby came in with the game plan. And, and they – I mean, Tennessee was throwing that intermediate the entire time. Very few times. You miss Hyatt uh, in the first half down the sideline. You missed Prince Brew. of Fant and Brew McCoy later on in the football game. I get that. But, three of them. Now, the, now yeah. the Fant one to me was hard because that, that, that's not a route they run very often, so their timing there is going to be hard. But but the McCoy and the and the Hyatt play are, are two that, you know, Tennessee's just accustomed to making those because yeah. they've made all of those this year, it feels like. And so th those two were really costly. Yeah, they were. And uh, it, it looked like at least the, the Hyatt one at the, at the time, you're like, oh, no, he stepped on the official. I mean, what, what is that? Just a freak injury. Of course, he came back in. But what did you kind of make at Tennessee's passing attack? Uh, Tillman was obviously back in there and he's got the full trust of Hendon Hooker. And he, you know, didn't look, uh, you know, he looked good coming off injury. But, you know, the, the, the way they incorporated McCoy and Hyatt and Tillman, that passing attack with what Georgia was presenting, what, what did you think about the game plan for Tennessee in that regard? Surprised they didn't try to run it a little bit early, you know. Now, now they were effective throwing the ball early in terms of moving it in, in short chunks, not big chunks. But when you saw some of that split safety stuff, I thought that they might try to run it a little bit more. That's what they did against LSU. That's what they did uh, against Alabama and, and some teams. But obviously they had concerns about their ability to run the football um, against Georgia's defensive front. A little bit surprised they didn't run Hendon Hooker more in the run yeah. game, particularly early to see, you know, I'm not for running him against Akron. I'm not for running him when you got a lead against Kentucky or like they did a year ago when they were blowing out Missouri. But in a big game like that, I'm surprised they didn't have a couple things lined up for him there. Um, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was Hendon's best day. Um, mm -hmm. He was pressured. He was under a lot of pressure. I know. Like you said, he held onto the ball a little bit too much. I thought he did that a couple of times in the Kentucky game. Um, you know, first and ten. After you convert the, the fourth and short there in the second quarter and you got a chance to, to make that a one-score game, I guess, at that point, or make it 21-10, maybe an 11-point game. Um, now it was six. It would have made it 13. It made it 21-13, I guess. He um, That was a forced ball to, to Cedric Tillman. That, that's one that's probably got to land in the hedges. you got to look out there and see that, that – and I know you trust him, but but the corner had – the corner ran the route better than Cedric did. I mean, mm -hmm. he was – he had he had leverage – um, the only way you were going to complete that is you were going to try to throw it back shoulder. Um, and, and that's a hard throw to, to play back shoulder there. So that, that one was a tough one because, again, you gave away the opportunity for points on that drive. So I, I thought that was a forced play there. Um, so, you know, the challenge is how patient are you going to be when, when, that's, when that's what somebody does to you and what's your counter to some of that. I didn't think they countered the, the safety blitzes particularly well, some of that delayed blitz stuff Tennessee had a hard time with. Um, so they, they've got to they've got to go back and, and fix some of those things and and learn from them. And then when you know when you're playing a really good team and they give you an opportunity for a big play, you got to take advantage of that big play. And, and Tennessee had a couple of those that they just did not take advantage of in the game, and, and they were certainly certainly costly. Um, and, but but again, as I said this morning on TV, the sun came up today. 
you're, you're still in things. You're, you're, the, this, this program's ahead of schedule for where it's supposed to be right now. Um, and that's a good football team in Georgia. And, and listen, that they, they, they read everything. They saw everything that was said. They, they, they watched game day and saw everybody pick them, pick against them, you know, and um, they were motivated and ready to go play. And Kirby Smart clearly spent a lot of time on Tennessee this offseason and the last couple of weeks getting ready for that game because he had a very different type plan than, than kind of how they played some defense. They did some stuff differently that they don't typically do on defense. And um, it, it showed up and, 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 you know, tip of the cap to them. Now we'll see what Tennessee's counter is to that stuff because it's a copycat world. There'll be lots of people try to do some of those things. Yeah, I thought I thought Javon Bullard, you know, was really good coming off the edge and those in those blitzes you were talking about. He had two sacks and he's coming from the star position. And, you know, especially late in the games, whenever Georgia was pressuring Tennessee on, on obvious passing downs on third downs and, and that type of stuff, bringing, you know, pressures off the edge right there. Hendon would step up and there'd be, you know, Jalen Carter, somebody else just right there to just to eat him. And so it was um you know, it was it was it was overwhelming at times for sure. And it wasn't just Hendon was throwing on the foot or holding on to the football. It was you know, it's the perfect storm. It's a combination of a lot of things. And we're going to get Matt Zenitz on here of On3 to talk about a national perspective. But but before we do get him on, Brent, I do want to kind of get your take on this. And, you know, AP and I on the way home last night, we talked about a lot. We were listening to Alabama getting knocked off by LSU in overtime. We were listening to Clemson losing. Um, a lot of things kind of went Tennessee's way, despite Tennessee losing to the number one ranked team in the country on, on Saturday. Uh, you got to take care of business, finish off the the, the next three games. You, you, you know, you, you, nothing's guaranteed. You got to get some help here and there. But anyway, you want to spin it. The sun came out the, the, this morning, and, and Tennessee is still very much in, in a good spot in regards to a potential college football playoff spot. Well, if you're going to lose that game to Georgia, which nobody wanted, but if you're going to mm-hmm. lose it, you all you wanted to do it on a day where you got help elsewhere, and Tennessee got help elsewhere. Um, Alabama out with two losses. They're, they're out of the picture. I don't see Clemson with one loss being in the picture with where the ACC is right now. That's not a very good conference. Um, so both of those help. Uh, you're going to need a little help with TCU, who's got a, a, a tough close here when you look at what they've got left on their schedule. Trip to Texas this week. Baylor's out there. Oregon's still looming in the weeds um, as a one-loss team. They'll be a little bit of a darling out there on the West Coast. I don't think they've got the strength to schedule. Um but Tennessee's not just got to win, Eric. You, you got to be impressive. Style points matter. Okay, Tennessee needs to go play well the next three weeks and 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 take care of their business. But they are they're very much in the picture. Um, I'll be shocked if they're below five when the when the playoff uh, standings come out on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They could still be number four. Um, we'll see what happens. I know USC. Michael says USC still hanging around out there. They are. Uh, that's that's something that you keep an eye on and. Um, I, I think there's going to be two unbeaten teams in college football. Okay, I, I think I think Georgia's going to go unbeaten if they play the way they're playing right now and they stay healthy enough. I, I don't see anybody beating Georgia. Um, I don't think LSU can get them in the SEC championship game. Um, and then because I, I think I think Georgia's too physical for where LSU is on, on the line of scrimmage right now. Having seen LSU in person, I know they've gotten healthier and they're getting better. But, but I just think Georgia's too physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think that Georgia offensive line doesn't get a ton of credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stetson – did Stetson Bennett get knocked down other than hitting the pylon? I, I'm not sure. He gets rid so. of all quick, but but uh, they, they protect him really well in their play-action stuff. Uh, so that's a solid – that's the best offensive line Tennessee's played. So I think they're going to go unbeaten. And then I think you can have Ohio State, Michigan. That winner is going to be unbeaten. And then you'll have two one-loss teams make the playoff. And the question is – Who's that going to be? Is that going to be a Big Ten school and an SEC school? Is that going to be a Big Ten and a Pac-12? Is that going to be an SEC and a Pac-12? That'll all come down to kind of the style points and all those parameters in the playoffs that I'm not smart enough to figure out. We'll talk to Matt Zenas about here hopefully in just a little bit. Yeah, Trey flashed that picture up there of the uh, the, the field being stormed at LSU a moment ago. And a joke I'm sure you've heard about 10 times since last night, I wonder if Jermaine Burton was able to make it off that field just okay. All right, we'll come back. We'll how talk about, to Matt Zedas. Hey, how about Brian Kelly going for it right there, going for the win, rolling the dice and, and, and playing for the win right there? Behind the curtain in the car, AP said they got to go for it. And I, I'm so old man football. I'm like, no, you're at home. No, kick, kick the BAT. Tie it up. Go, go to, no, no, absolutely not. They go for it. AP says he's not going to get it. I say they're going to get it, and they got it. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that – I wonder, and he didn't talk about – Brian Kelly didn't talk about this afterwards. we got to get a break because Matt's waiting. But 
Brian Kelly and talk about this. I wonder if what happened to them um, in that Florida State game with with not going for two at the end of regulation, if that had if that weighed in his mind in any way, shape, or form, or if it was just a scenario where he did not think they could stop um, the, the way Bryce Young was running around, and, and he just didn't. He said he just didn't want to. He didn't want to get into one of those overtime deals where we got into two point plays and everything else. They felt yeah. like they had a winning play and they went for it. So. Hats off to him. It's a heck of a call and a heck of a night for LSU. That team's gotten a lot better since Tennessee was in Baton Rouge. Yeah, no doubt. Sam Pittman did the same thing against Ole Miss last year. It backfired, but it got uh, you know LSU. It worked out in their favor. Uh, we got Matt Zenitz uh, taking a look at Tennessee from a big perspective. Heisman consideration for Hendon Hooker and, of course, playoff chances and the rest of the season. Uh, he's Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. As you watch and listen to us right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back in here to the Rocky Top Rewind. He's Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock, we take a look back. We rewind, if you will, at Tennessee's game this past Saturday. Of course, Tennessee falls to Georgia by a score of 27-13. to 13, Now 8-1 and one on the season, but still a lot to play. And Brent Hubs, we got a, a really good guest coming on to help us break it down. Yeah, he's one of the best in the country in terms of keeping everybody up to date on coaching news, playoff news, and big pictures of everything in college football. Uh, Matt Zenis joins us on the program. Matt, thanks for your time, man. Ho- hope you're doing well. I know it's a it's a crazy, crazy world. We got another coaching change today at, at South Florida. But everybody wants to in, in Tennessee land wants to know about the playoff scenario. Tennessee loses Matt, Matt, but they get help with the Clemson loss. They get help with the Alabama loss. I know you're not on the committee, but but kind of what's your viewpoint on what a top four, top five you think will look like on Tuesday when this thing comes out? You've covered this closely over the last four or five years since this thing's been around. Yeah, probably the bigger part for, for me specifically about Tennessee is regardless of where, where they're, they're ranked when, when the new rankings come out, Tennessee to me is clearly one of the, the top four teams in the country and still even with the, the loss to Georgia has a, a solid to uh, maybe even as far as very good chance of still getting into the playoffs just based on not only the, the remaining schedule for them, what they bring to the table as far as a team, and what they've accomplished so far this year, but just what lies ahead for some of the teams that Tennessee is going to be dependent on to potentially lose the, the rest of the way also, whether it's a, a TCU, who's actually an underdog going into this coming weekend against Texas, or one of the one-loss Pac-12 teams who I obviously in contention for playoff spot also. On the, the Pac-12, I mean, USC and Oregon are going to avoid each other, right? Uh, the, the big one coming up, um, USC plays UCLA. So UCLA, even though they lost to, to Oregon, still kind of like a dark horse there, depending on how they finish up. But USC or UCLA it will knock uh, the, the other one out coming up in the, the next couple of weeks. So that, that would be a big one there. And then with Oregon, that they, they – wait, what's the, what's the toughest one for them? So they have two ranked teams left the, the rest of the way. I want to say – Oregon State maybe is one uh, either Washington way. Washington and two, Utah. Okay, two two of their their final three are against ranked teams. So it's far from foregone conclusion that, that Oregon is going to remain a one loss team heading into conference championship game weekend. But that that would be something. If I'm a Tennessee fan, uh, very interested to see the the TCU Texas game this weekend. TCU TCU loss it would be very helpful there. And then, wait once again with the Pac-12 teams, Oregon has some tough games coming up, and then that USC-UCLA game will definitely be interesting. 
coming up the week after this one, I believe, is when that is. Where do you think the committee is? I know there's a lot of talk about regional bias, not just SEC, but but around just around the country about two teams from the same conference, you know, getting in. Is that is that a big narrative out there in, in the playoff world, or is it is it truly still the goals the best four teams? And if that's two teams from the same league, everybody understands that's two teams from the same league. And I say that because yeah. you obviously have the Big Ten with with, with Michigan and Ohio State that are going to play each other. Um, you know, one of those teams is going to lose. And then obviously talking about potentially two, you know, one lost team and an undefeated team in the SEC getting in. But where do you think the committee is on multiple teams in a, co- in a conference getting in the playoff, which we've seen a lot of? It's about finding the four best teams. And I think it's likely at this point that you're going to see two from the, the SEC. That the worst thing that could happen for Tennessee with that being the case is LSU, which like you guys were talking about before I came on, has greatly, greatly improved throughout the course of the year. And this is a completely different product on the field compared to what was the case that, that first game against Florida State. Um, but the, the worst thing that, that could happen for Tennessee is if a one-loss LSU team goes into the SEC title game, knocks off Georgia. Georgia, I think, would still get in at that point, and then it would be mm-hmm. impossible to keep LSU out in that scenario. And I don't think you see three teams from the SEC. So that would be one of those scenarios that if I'm a Tennessee fan uh, – looking for Georgia to take care of business and beat whether it's LSU, Ole Miss, whoever it is in the, the SEC title game to avoid any sort of complications there with other teams within the conference. So, so Matt LSU loses to Tennessee and to Florida state. So if they won the SEC championship game, they would still be a two loss team, but the weight of a Georgia win in the SEC championship game as yeah. a, as a conference champion would put them in the playoff. Right. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I got you. Um, let's, hey, do you guys agree with that? Because I, uh, I, I mean, I, I would. I mean, as as hot as Eric was hot as LSU is right now, uh, if they go and they beat a, a Georgia team that's been dominant against everybody, that that's going to be it's going to be hard to sit back and say, well, Tennessee beat them in week three, mm-hmm. right, or week four, and, and that and that's that's enough for them to get in over. You know, the fact that they will have won what eight straight or something crazy like that at that point. So that that'd be a tough sell, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. If, if LSU run, runs the table here and, and takes down Georgia in the SEC championship game, they're in no matter what. I mean, you had um, Auburn back in 2017 that was really close to doing that. If Auburn would have beaten Georgia in the SEC title game, Auburn likely would have been in the college football playoff. I think this is the same situation. I don't think LSU beats Georgia, but if it were to happen, I think absolutely. Now, if you if you lose that game, they're done. That's three losses. You can't you can't have that conversation. Matt, kind of on that in that same vein, when going to the Big Ten, uh, Clemson, or excuse me, Michigan and Ohio State, they're going to meet up here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Ohio State didn't look too sharp yesterday against Northwestern, but we know about everything they can do offensively. And then Michigan finally got over the hump last year and beating its rival. Um, you know, what, what do you like about those two teams and the loser, the output, the outlook for the loser of that game later on the season? Yeah, wait, one of those two teams will be in the, the playoff. So it'll be one team from the Big Ten. We'll see which one of those comes out victorious when they face each other. If I'm putting money on it right now, I'm betting on Ohio State, even with what they look like against Northwestern, which weather factored into that. They still should have played better better than what they did, even factoring in the, the weather. But Ohio State is, is probably one of only two teams in the country right now that if uh, there was a, a head-to-head matchup with Tennessee, they would be deserving of – uh, being favored in that kind of game. That's how highly I think of Tennessee even coming out of the, the game against Georgia. All right, Matt, let's talk a little Heisman Trophy here a little bit. That, I mean, with the weather that took place yesterday, C.J. Stroud didn't put up big numbers. Hendon Hooker didn't have a great day. Um, obviously, Bryce Young and, and Alabama loses a second game. This thing is kind of, to me, feels like the Heisman Trophy race is kind of thrown up in a big flux right now. Where, where do you see that thing shaking out? And I know there's three weeks left to play, but nobody made a, nobody, none of the favorites made a move yesterday, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, what, what, what was your takeaway from the weekend? And where do you think that thing sets right now? It's opened the door even more for somebody like a Caleb Williams at USC, who's led the way for USC to have a significant, significant turnaround this year, potential playoff team there. And Caleb, I feel like, has gotten better and better throughout the, the course of the year. So it's opened the door for somebody like that to go along with maybe a dark horse type figure in that race and a Bijan Robinson in Texas. So if the, the Heisman Trophy is built around identifying the, the best player in college football, 
or, or most talented player in college football, you, you can make a, a strong, strong argument that, that Bijan Robinson is very deserving of being a real consideration for not only a finalist spot, but being in the running for that award also. And he's going to have a big showcase opportunity coming up uh, this weekend against TCU, where if Texas can find a way to pull out that game and Bijan continues to put up big numbers, I, I wouldn't rule out whatsoever that you could see him progressively rise on on Heisman boards during the course of these next couple of weeks. Man, it's Matt, for Hendon Hooker, um, you know, heading into that game yesterday, if you, I mean, even before, you know, what, what CJ Stroud looked like in, against Northwestern, even before that, I mean, the stage playing against Georgia, if you went out there and had a performance like you did against Alabama and Florida, I yeah. thought maybe, hey, you put it in the bag. That's Hendon's, that, that's Hendon's award. That did not happen. That's not how it played out. But for Hendon Hooker, is it as simple as, say, he goes out over these next three weeks, beats up on some teams you should beat up on, puts up some stats, um, you know, regardless of what he looked like against Georgia, is he still got a very much a, a compelling case to, to go and win this thing uh, because of what he's already done so far this season? I, I would say worst case scenario for, for Hendon, he's deserving of being a, a finalist. It's probably going to be tough just being completely real um, to, to win it at this point, barring some of the, the other top con- contenders struggling, having off games and Hendon just blowing the doors off uh, the, the teams that the Tennessee has the, the final few weeks of the regular season. But that, that obviously was a significant opportunity for for not only Hendon or not, not only Tennessee as a team, but for Hendon individually in that, that Georgia game where if he had had a, another big game, like what was the case against Alabama, I, I agree that would have gone a long way in, in terms of potentially locking that up for Hendon. All right, let's let's look around the country quickly here at, at a few of these coaching openings. I know you follow the, the coaching search, the coaching carousel extremely well. I, I want to start with with Hugh Freeze at Liberty. I know he just agreed to an extension there. He's beaten BYU. He just went on the road and beat Arkansas. He knows this league. Auburn's open. Is is that marriage a possibility, Matt, or, or do you think that that this league is not ready for Hugh Freeze to return back to the SEC? I don't think Auburn specifically is ready for Hugh Freeze to return to the, the SEC. So um, I, I think the AD hire at, at Auburn being what it was, was maybe the, the worst possible hire for the possibility of Hugh Freeze getting the, the Auburn job. So Hugh – Definitely has support from some of the the money people behind the scenes at Auburn. But at the same time, the the word to to this point has been that John Cohen, the the new AD at Auburn, is going to have opportunity to lead the way when it comes to identifying and hiring a new football coach. And everyone is capable of going back and looking at the the Mississippi State part of and connection with uh, all the the Hugh stuff with with Mm -hmm. Ole Miss. Um, There's a lot that is known there with, with John Cohen and Hugh. I, I think that hire, I, I don't want to say eliminated the, the possibility of Hugh being the, the next head coach at Auburn, but I think that significantly decreased the, the likelihood of it. Is it, is well, it well, Lane? for Auburn? I mean, is it, is it as simple as, you know, the, the hot names of, of course, is, is Dion and Lane? Is it as simple as those two guys? Or, you know, what, what, what are some other good fits for Auburn as this thing goes on? Yeah, Lane's definitely going to be a top name, I, I think, throughout the course of this process. We, we'll see what we, Lane's level of willingness is. To, to leave would be, become a, a solid situation based on his work um, in Oxford at, at Ole Miss. Uh, Auburn, I, I think you can make a strong case, has more upside as a, a job and gives you a better chance to legitimately compete for a, a championship, uh, maybe has some better resources there, including financially. But Lane is definitely somebody who, uh, not to harp too much on the, the money figures behind the scenes, but some of those – Money figures behind the scenes at Auburn are definitely intrigued by the possibility of Lane being the the next head football coach there. But who'll be a name on the radar? Mark Stoops, I, I could see getting consideration throughout the course of the, this process. I would be surprised with, with Dion if that ultimately is uh, the the next step for for Dion, or if Dion is the the higher there. Matt Rule is kind of a wild card name where you know, you're naturally going to see and hear his name floated out a, a lot throughout the course of this cycle for potential openings, but it's important to remember that Matt Rule got a significant buyout from the Panthers, and I think that puts him in a position even more where he can be very selective when it comes to his next opportunity. But Lane is definitely – like if you were handicapping this right now, Lane would definitely be in the top tier 
as far as deserving of some of the best odds for that Auburn job. Matt, Matt, last year was wild. You know, you, you had two major, major stable coaches make make moves. I mean, Brian Kelly going to, to uh, yeah. LSU and obviously the situation in Oklahoma and, and, and USC. Is that is that a one-off? I mean, do you, do you think – I mean, not that we're going to see multiple of those, but do you see anybody looking to make a move who's in a stable spot like that? You hear rumblings of that, or is that just a really unusual set of circumstances a year ago? Yeah, not to the, that kind of level. There, there are some re- respected coaches um, in, in decent spots right now who people around the coaching world think could be considerations for bigger jobs, whether it's a Dave Aranda maybe being on the radar for something like a Nebraska. He's another one that, like John Cohen, if I remember correctly, during the, the process that hire, or that, that ended with Mississippi State hiring Mike Leach, I, I think Aranda was on the, the radar for them during the course of that process. It seems like John Cohen um, thinks highly of Dave. I, I just don't see Dave uh, being necessarily a fit for, for the Auburn job or that being something that he would view as being ideal next step for him. But his name's been tossed around for so some different things. Dave Doran at NC State, who's done a really good job there. As NC State ranked, went once again, got a big win uh, yesterday. And um, he, he's been brought up both for Nebraska, somebody who could be on the radar there, or even as external possibility for Wisconsin, if for some reason that ended with them looking at hiring somebody aside from Jim Leonard, even though everything at this point continues to uh, seem like it's working towards Jim Leonard ultimately being the guy at Wisconsin. Matt, the more Tennessee has success, the more, especially the offense continues to perform, and um, it's Josh Heupel, but it's also Alex Golish. Alex Golish has a major hand in everything Tennessee does. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be a head coach one day. Do you? How soon do you think that can be, and what mm-hmm. are some jobs out there that would be kind of uh, in, in the ballpark for Alex Golish to take that opportunity? Hey, Alex's name has come up multiple times and even just the, the last couple of days. So two, two specifically that just immediately come to mind for Alex. Memphis continues to, to trend towards, I, I think, opening up. I, I would be very surprised if some hot coordinator names with Alex being one of them uh, didn't warrant consideration for that. So like Alex, Kenny Dillingham out at Oregon, who has ties to, to Memphis, I would think that those would be a, a couple guys with, with that situation that at the very least would be on the radar. And then, uh, Brent, you brought up earlier about South Florida opening up. I, I would think that, that Alex is a natural one to be on the radar for South Florida uh, as a, a possibility also. So has ties to the state of Florida, obviously was a UCF. I, I would be surprised to a certain degree if he's not at the very least on the radar for that as a possibility. We got Donovan over here. Donovan's chiming in with a super chat. I want to bring up here and, and check out his uh, comment. Uh, he said he's not going to get upset. A lot of people appreciate Coach Heupel, this team for this year. Tennessee is not out of the playoffs yet. A long way to go. Hooker, Strout, Corum, those will be your finalists. You like those finalists there, Matt? Is there, or anybody else you throw into that mix as well? You guys know. I mean, throughout earlier, Caleb Williams, Wade wouldn't write off Caleb by any means, and I think he could continue to work his way up during the course of the next couple of weeks. And then um, B. John Robinson is somebody who – even before this past weekend is somebody who like we, we have our on three Heisman board that we put out every week. Bijan at the very least for the last couple of weeks for me has been uh, at the bottom part of that board with, with the potential of working up even more. Uh, Matt, last question from me in regards to coaching searches in, in, in South Florida in particular, they hired Jeff Scott who had never been a head coach before. Um, do you see those schools with everything that's going on with, you know, f- trying to figure out NIL transfer portal? Is there any more hesitancy to top coordinators getting first time jobs like that? Are they looking more for someone who's got some head coaching experience, say, um, you know, you got Coastal Carolina or, or even Deion Sanders in South at, at South Florida? Would would mm-hmm. would. ADs lean more towards you think a, a guy who's got some head coaching experience versus a, a, a first time head coach who's been a big time coordinator, or is that just kind of still where they are in the pecking order of coaching searches? Yeah, it depends on the situation. So there are definitely some that have already opened up that, that the consistent word has been that leaning more in a direction that if possible would like to find somebody with head coaching experience, whether it's something like a, a Charlotte, for example, that, I mean, to circle back to, Tennessee assistants that, that could be on the radar for, for head coaching jobs, like a Jerry Mack is somebody that uh, 
has come up as somebody who seems to maybe at the very least be on the radar for that. Um, but, but at the same time, have also heard just that 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 it is an example of a situation where maybe the, the preference is even more finding somebody with, with head coaching experience. And there are other examples along the, those lines as far as some of the current openings, whether it's Colorado or um, UAB has come up along those lines. But it, it's really dependent on just the, the individual situation. The, the big thing that I would say, so talked about goalish just throughout the stuff with, with Charlotte and Jerry. And it wouldn't surprise me either if Memphis is another one where um, at the very least an interview type guide for that, that would not surprise me, but have probably at least three coaches on that Tennessee staff total who are very much on the radar for administrators for uh, head coaching opportunities and as being deserving of consideration for that kind of stuff moving forward with Golish being one, Jerry being another, and then Tim Banks, uh, being a third to go along with that, where the, the offense, and rightfully so, has gotten a tremendous amount of attention throughout the course of the year. But the, the, the defense has played some damn good ball also. And Tim, even before this year, had been on the radar for some different things. I want to say Colorado State was one this past cycle that at the very least was on the, the radar for. So it wasn't like a favorite for the job at any point during the course of the process, at least based on what I know. But hey, has been on the radar for stuff like that in the past. And I think his stock has continued to work in a direction where he's going to warrant consideration for different opportunities along those lines, even more moving forward. If you like breaking football news from a national perspective, you need to give our guy Matt Zenitz a follow on Twitter. He's at M Zenitz on Twitter. Matt, great stuff, man, as always. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. Hey, thanks, awesome. Matt. Again, appreciate Matt you, of on three. A lot of good stuff there from Matt, of course, and uh, always appreciative of his time for uh, coming through here and joining us. Uh, Donovan, really do appreciate that super chat. John wants to chime in here saying uh, an 11-1 finish for this year and year number two for Josh Heupel would be incredible. He says, go Big Orange. John, appreciate it as always. Thank you, Donovan and John, for the super chats. And uh, let's talk to Austin Price, get his thoughts on Tennessee and, um, and Georgia and, of course, what it could mean for the recruiting world. That's coming up next right here. As we see Austin Price right there, we're going to grab him. Yeah, we are, right. baby. All that and Christmas because he's got his tree behind oh, him. You got, oh, oh. Hey, you got 60 seconds to get that tree down, Price. 60 seconds. Ho, ho, ho. We'll see if he can get it down when we come back right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Amateur move right there. Got to unmute my mic. Welcome back in to the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubs, and Austin Bright sitting right there. Just loving the fumble I just had right there, aren't you, Austin? Look, buddy, it is uh, any, anytime we can uh, pick fun at you, it's a, it's a winning day. I'm just glad you don't have black and red on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure your, your, your fiance's already picked out some yellow and black for you to wear coming up Saturday. I guess she's going to have to. I mean, if that's what it takes, I guess I guess she's going to have to. Speaking of which, Tennessee Georgia yesterday, you and I talked a lot about on the postgame mini pod and the two-minute drill. Uh, big takeaways from Tennessee Georgia, obviously still a lot in play uh, moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, Tennessee still got everything right in front of them. I mean, obviously, yeah, not going to go to Atlanta, not going to play for the SEC championship. Um, but, you know, potentially could still end up in the college football playoff. I mean, everybody's going to be rooting hard for the other UT this weekend to see if they can beat TCU. That would help Tennessee's case. And then, you know, obviously um, at that point, I, I think it really kind of comes down to Tennessee, the loser of Michigan, Ohio State, and then, you know, potentially Oregon or USC um, as a one-loss team for really two spots because, you know, Georgia likely not going to lose. 
Um, and, and then the winner of Ohio State, Michigan's, you know, going to be undefeated. So I think those are two locked in spots. And then, you know, the other teams are battling it out for uh, the other uh, two spots. And in Tennessee's case, I, I think can only get better if it, uh, you know, sees Alabama went out, if it sees, you know, LSU continue to do well and went out and, and play a Georgia team at, you know, ranked sixth or seventh in the college football playoff rankings themselves. And then, you know, go out there and win the way you're supposed to win these next three. Win with style, win some, with some points, and, and and beat teams handily. That, that's that's my question. Obviously, Austin, there's a lot of things, and, and Matt talked about it. We've talked about the help along the way. But the big question to, to me right now is, is Tennessee's reaction. You know, I mean, Hendon Hooker has, has talked since the beginning of fall camp about Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. And, and Atlanta is out of the out of the equation for Tennessee right now. I don't have any concerns about this team bouncing back, being ready to go, because there's still so much in front of them. But but do you have any worry about where this team is coming out of this, and and not letting Georgia beat you twice, and not let losing your number one goal beat you a, a second time? Um, no, I, I don't. I think that this team will be really fired up to kind of get back up on the horse. Um, I don't think you'll see them beat, you know, get beat by Georgia twice. I think that they'll be, you know, while they they hammered Missouri last year, and I'd say Missouri will come into this game fairly uh, focused on trying to avenge that. I just think Tennessee knows that you know everything they still want to accomplish is right in front of them. Eleven and one at minimum, a New Year's six game, and um, you know I, I think that's where you'll see this team come out ready to play. And again. I think it helps that you're at home this week and it's senior day. So for Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman, Jerome Carvin, and all those those seniors, it's a chance to kind of you know refocus because hey, you want to win your last game at Neyland Stadium. You want to play well. You want to shine, and and I think that that helps. And it's the fact that it's not on the road. Period. It, again, is a nice part of the schedule where it's not like you know a trap game on the road after the Georgia win or Georgia loss in this instance. Um, I always thought it was a nice built-in home game. Is there anything, the remaining three games on the schedule? I mean, Tennessee's favored by three touchdowns against Missouri. Uh, Missouri's been kind of pesky against some uh, conference pose, but then it beat Vanderbilt by three points. Um, anything these last three opponents possess in terms of threat? I know that South Carolina, you got a quarterback, but he throws it to the other team more so than his own team. What about these last three games? Tennessee should just roll here, right? I mean, you can't just show up, but Tennessee should roll. Yeah, again, if Tennessee goes out and does what they've done all year and that's put up points, um, I don't think any of those three teams can play with Tennessee because they don't score it well enough. And so it starts this week with Missouri. Missouri this year has uh, been pesky. They've been scrappy. They've lost a lot of some a lot of tough games, just like this past weekend when they lost to Kentucky on this weird freak roughing the punter deal. And they may not have scored, but they were going to have the ball at the 30 with under two minutes to go, a chance to go down and, and you know drive 30 yards and – score a game-winning touchdown uh, if, that, if that, you know, doesn't get called. Um, but, you know, again, that's the team Tennessee beat 44-6 to that just beat Missouri. So, I mean, you know, th- these teams just don't score a lot. South Carolina doesn't score a lot. Vanderbilt doesn't score a lot. So, if Tennessee does what they've done all year, and that's put up points, I just have a tough time seeing Tennessee have any kind of hiccup in these final three. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard for for that to, 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 to see that happening. Um you know, obviously, everybody's going to try to duplicate duplicate the Georgia blueprint, um, which I don't know that anybody could do defensively because they have the talent, Austin. But if if teams go to you know and, and just play that, keep everything in front of them, and try to pull that off, what's Tennessee's counter got to be to that coming out of what you saw on Saturday? What, what's what's the adjustment for Alex Golish and Josh Heupel? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't know how you you know. How, how you do counter that. Um, you know, I don't think that Missouri has the players that Georgia does. So I think even if they try to implement some of the same scheme, it's it's not, you know, Jalen Carter. It's not Keely Ringo. Um, so I, I think that helps. I, I, I just think you just go back to doing what you do. Um, you know, I, I think the offensive line will – not have as tough a time against the Missouri front seven as they did the Georgia front seven. So, you know, again, Missouri scrappy, but I keep going back to they hammered Kentucky 44 to six. That could have been worse. Missouri just lost to Kentucky. And so um, after beating South Carolina, so 
again, I just think if Tennessee comes focused and, and executes, um, even if Missouri tries to implement some of the things that Georgia did, I still think t- Tennessee has enough success to where, you know, Missouri's got to come out of some of that stuff. They won't be able to set in it like Georgia did. Um, that, that, you know, with, with Chris on the nation, you know, with, with me tonight, and he brought up a good point about the Georgia crowd um, is like Tennessee, you know, Tennessee never did anything to take the crowd out. Like they never had like mm-hmm. – Florida scored, kind of took the Tennessee crowd out for a few minutes. Alabama scored, same thing. Um, Tennessee never scored. They could never keep the crowd out of the game. Like their one score was four minutes to go as a cosmetic touchdown. So, um, you know, I, I think that Tennessee will be able to do enough to, you know, get their crowd into it. And defensively, I think they'll make plenty of plays because I just don't think Missouri's good enough offensively. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it, it... Brent talked about it all last week. You're going to have to go win one-on-one matchups, whether that's, you know, winning one-on-one on the edge, you know, blocking, whether that's one-on-one, you know, beating a defensive back, out wide, wide receiver. Tennessee didn't win enough of those one-on-one matchups. And Missouri and Vanderbilt and South Carolina do not have the same caliber of players as Georgia does. So in that regard, I, I don't have a worry. Of course, you can't just show up. Now, I, I do want to ask you this. Brent kind of touched on this earlier in the show when we were talking about the environment and everything, but, but you've been to Georgia plenty of times. Um, obviously, that that crowd was a, a major factor. Tennessee had eight pre-snap penalties, seven of which were false starts. You know, how how was that compared to some other games around the league that you've been to or games in Neyland Stadium? It was uh, really good. Again, I don't – I won't say it's the best atmosphere I've ever been in. I think that's just so knee-jerk and living kind of being a prisoner of the moment. But it was just as good as, as any of the other ones I've been in that were really good, whether that's Neyland, Swamp uh, a couple of times that I've been there. Um, you know, Auburn at night, LSU at night, uh, Bryant-Denny, um, they've all been, you know, really special. So, I mean, like, I, you know, it's right up there with with any of those. And, uh, you know, the, their crowd was into it early. They were into it often. Tennessee never gave them a chance to kind of take a break from yelling and screaming. And, and so, you know, I mean, I'm looking here at some of the comments and, you know, um, I guess what Freeze Malone, Freeze Malone put on here, you know, Kirby called off the dogs. Yeah, he called off the dogs against Oregon too. It's forty-nine to nothing, and you know that that game could have been worse. They they pulled the starters and everything else. I mean, you know, they changed how they played because of the rain, because of everything else, and, and that's kind of Kirby's mo. He, he's not one that runs up scores a whole lot. You know, if he kind of gets a team down. He just kind of then relies on the running game, his offensive line to kind of just get it to the triple zeros. Tennessee's defense did enough in the second half to where they actually outscored Georgia in the second half. Um, you know, but it, the game was, you know, one of those situations where, you know, Georgia just dominated, especially at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They went out and earned that game. You know, Tennessee wasn't ready for that moment. And so, you know, I know Tennessee would love to have a second crack at it. You know, maybe the same story may not be. I mean, how many times have you seen over the years a team get, you know, beat down pretty good? Last year's SEC championship game, mm-hmm. Alabama put it on Georgia. Then they turned around and Georgia put it back on Alabama. I'm not saying that's going to happen here. I'm just saying – if you're Tennessee, you'd love a second check crack at them because that means you're either playing in the semifinals or the national championship game, and you know everybody's going to sign up for that. Tennessee football is still going on now, eight and one on the season. Tennessee recruiting, of course, it never stops. David Hobbs, big time priority target for the University of Tennessee. He was at Georgia uh, watching that football game take part. We'll leave eight o'clock in the morning. Latest on your uh, D- David Hobbs situation. Yeah, still on his official visit. So, uh, you know, he got there. I didn't get there till Saturday. Georgia's going to use the full 48, and uh, he'll leave tomorrow. I, unless Georgia has, you know, really wowed him this weekend, and that's certainly possible, but most kids don't make a decision based off of, you know, a, a visit. They make a decision off relationships, how they felt on their visit, the atmosphere, academics, playing time, development, all that stuff. You know, unless he's uh, swung back in Georgia's way, and I would have told you that Georgia was running three to Tennessee and Alabama, then I still think Tennessee's got a pretty good shot, um, you know, with him, you know, coming up uh, for his decision on November 25th. But uh, won't know until uh, he wraps up that visit, which will be tomorrow. Another one that Tennessee's in the driver's seat for making uh, an announcement uh, Tuesday is offensive lineman Bison Lang. Uh, Tennessee's been in a good spot there for quite some time. Uh, will Tennessee be able to finish that one? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's been trending well there for a while. Um, you know, it, he's going to pick between LSU, Texas, Auburn, and Tennessee. 
Um, definitely feel like Tennessee's in the best shape, and uh, you see it right there with the uh, on three RPM recruiting prediction machine. They're the heavy favorite, and they should be. What about this week? Sorry, Brent. I was just going to ask a 24 question real quick. I mean, oh, the, right right yeah, the, the, the winning, I mean, you know, as you always say, one of my favorite phrases, you know, a lot of the haze already in the barn, right? For 23. I mean, Tennessee had 21 commits before the season started. So you need to finish off that class, but so much of the season has influenced the 24s, a loss like sat or a loss like yesterday against the number one ranked team in the country in Georgia. That's not going to do anything in terms of recruiting, right? I mean, it, it's still Tennessee's still looking really sharp in terms of 24s and 25s because they've done a really good job in state with those guys. No, it's not going to have a huge impact. Um, wins and losses never have a, not a, a particular win or loss doesn't normally have a huge impact um, when it comes to a, a kid's recruitment. Now you go out there and you lose five out of six and you look like, you know, the coach, your coaching is downtrodden. The team, you know, morale's downtrodden that, that, that can have an impact on a kid. But for this instance, no, the one game's not going to impact anything in particular. It's not going to impact the 24 cycle negatively, positively, any of that stuff. So, um, you know, I, Tennessee, again, get back up on the horse this week, go win these last three. And at worst case scenario, you're playing the New Year's Six game and the likely the Sugar Bowl. Although, but people will hear me say this, my dream scenario, besides the college football playoff, obviously, that that's different, would be – if the Big Ten gets two teams in and there is no third option and Tennessee gets picked in the Rose Bowl. Sign me up, Albert. Sign me up. I've been there. The sun sets pretty. That's about it. Okay. Um, no, you've not been to the Rose Bowl, though. We've all been to the Rose Bowl to play a game with UCLA. The Rose Bowl. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't I don't get caught up in balloon floats and flower floats going to the stadium on the day before. That's not a big that's not a big thing for me. So um I, I'm not interested in the Rose Bowl parade, but just call me old old crotchety, get off my lawn guy, I guess. All right. You are um, just gonna go to Atlanta. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Uh let's let let me ask you. This is the last home game for Tennessee. Yeah. It's a noon start. Anything of any note this weekend in recruiting? Because it's the last time to get get you in front of get guys in front of a crowd and a game atmosphere in Needham Stadium, even though it's not a night game, it's a nooner. Well, there's a really good chance Khalifa Keith comes back in town. Things seem to be trending pretty hard there. Um, I could see him doing something in the month of November. May not take an official until December, but I could see him, you know, kind of coming to a resolution on his recruitment um, sometime this month. Certainly feels like Tennessee's trending hard there because he needs a bigger back for pass protection. Um, you look at him, he's 6'2", 210 pounds in high school. You know, I think that, that you know, that only helps. Again, he's committed to Kentucky, but certainly feels like that's trending away from the Wildcats and towards Tennessee at this point. All right, recruiting never stops. Tennessee football, three games left in the regular season. Tennessee basketball gets going tomorrow night. A lot going on, and that's all at VolQuest.com. Hey, AP, tell them about that deal that's not going to last uh, much longer. That's right. $1 for one year. Join VolQuest today. It won't last forever, as Eric Kane will say. Hey, do you Although, do you send a Christmas card photo with anybody who signs up? Do you just, like, send a selfie with the tree in the background? Have, wishing yeah. you a happy holidays? Is that, is that – like, you know, we used to get a lamp or with your, your Sports Illustrated deal or something. I mean, do you – you send a personalized message. How, how do you handle that, AP? You and that evil dog, Max. <laughs> Max has been really quiet downstairs uh, during this uh, this segment of the Rocky Top Rewind. Um, uh, no, I don't plan on sending anything out. But I mean, you really kind of encompass. You know, it, it, I've got I got my Christmas tree kind of dead dead behind me. I've got my master sign over this way. If I had a Disney sign here, we would kind of have all three wrapped up in one. Um, things I enjoy: Christmas, Augusta, and and Disney. So, so those come out on the VIP newsletter, right? That's right. You have to. We'll need a lot more super chats, and I'll expect my portion of the super chats, Eric Kane, and um, and and a Michael. He is not giving away a Peter Millar coupon. He keeps all of those, my friend. Yeah, that's exactly and there's no right. Such thing, there's no such thing as a Peter Millar coupon, anyway, right? No, but I do have our Volquest Peter Millar swag coming, and it should be here within the next week or so. Uh, pretty excited about it, and it is. Uh, Top notch. That's good. That way I don't have to wear Georgia colors, right? This is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. One dollar, one year over at VolQuest.com. And uh, as always, if you're watching us right now and you're not subscribed to the VolQuest YouTube channel, 
go ahead and subscribe there. We got tons of great content up there all the time. And uh, let's hit that like button. Let's get this to 500 likes. Uh, that'll help get it out there to uh, plenty of other Tennessee fans. For Awesome Price and Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. Thank you guys for chiming in. Thank you for the super chats, Donovan and John. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll do it again next week. This has been the Rocky Top Rewind right here at VolQuest. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.